0: against the disciples of the Lord. Breathing threats and murder. Paul calls himself the least of all the saints here for a reason. He was persecuting the church of God. Jesus said, you are persecuting me personally. Jesus took offense at what Paul was doing. And yet, you know, after Paul is knocked off his horse, after his trajectory has a massive change, Jesus gives him one of the biggest jobs in the history of the church, to write most of our New Testament, to proclaim this message of welcome to those who up until that point were not that welcome, the Gentiles, the nations, the non-Jews, those who until that point were not familiar with the promises of God. Paul basically says here in verse 8, Me? And if you've, re- if you've read Paul's testimony in Acts chapter 9, we find out that there's a, a Christian named Ananias who God appears to, while Paul is being dealt with, God appears to Ananias and says, Hey, Ananias, I need you to go meet up with n- this new Christian named Saul. And Ananias is, is says... Loud and clear. Him? And then Jesus tells Ananias why. He tells him his plan. He says, go meet up with him. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so we don't just have a surprising message of welcome. We have a surprising God who uses people like Paul and people like us to accomplish his ministry of welcome. So before we get dive into our passage this morning, I just want to remind us of the really the interesting context that this passage falls in. In chapter 2, You know, Paul basically walks through how we were dead as those, as Gentiles. We were totally dead. We were not awake to the promises of God. And then he goes verses 1 through 22 and just describes the miraculous Jesus accomplished, not just unification of Jew and Gentile, but the reconciliation of Gentile and God himself. And so, after Paul is done describing that and just like putting flesh and bones on it and, and just making it so real and apparent, he's literally falling to his knees in prayer. Like, he's about to pray right now. He, he really is. And I'll show you what I mean. Because if you look at verses 1 and 14 of chapter 3, you'll find a similarity, and it's how it begins Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, For this reason, I. And then if you kind of fast forward to verse 14, it says, For this reason, I. And then in verse 14, he actually gets to what he was about to do, which is, bow my knees before the Father. So he just described the miraculous thing that God has done, uniting Jew and Gentile, uniting uh, humans with Christ. And he's just floored by it. And he just desperately wants to pray and just praise God for it. But then he gets distracted. He has like a squirrel moment. He's like, for this reason, I, who am I? I'm Paul. I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you guys. He's about to pray, but then he's like, wait, I should probably mention something about this. He he just kind of gets sidetracked. And if you deleted verses 1 through 13, you really wouldn't notice. He he would just go into his prayer. But the cool thing is he gets distracted by his current vocation of of suffering on their behalf. You know, suffering for Christ on their behalf. And then he, he wants to extrapolate a little bit. He wants to explain basically why he's where he is. Why am I suffering on your behalf? Let me just elaborate a little bit, he says. So in verse 1, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. It's that acknowledgement of his self-identification as a prisoner for Christ and that it's on their behalf. He wants them to know that his suffering, his current condition in no way detracts from the glorious plan of salvation that God has accomplished in Christ. And a lot of these people who are reading this letter don't know Paul. You know, Paul was really known to the Ephesian church, but we know that this letter also made the rounds to a lot of churches. And so these were people that had they found out that the person who wrote this letter is in prison, That might have been like, well, yeah, you say there's a triumph, but you're in prison. So clearly you're not winning. And so Paul wants to explain, yeah, I'm in prison. That's the plan. Yeah, I'm in prison. But that in no way takes anything away from the fact that God (laughs) and what God has accomplished and as well as his own unique part that Paul is playing. So, yeah, he's sitting in a jail cell, but in this upside-down kingdom, that's where God has him, and God is using him there. So let's, I want to reread verses 1 through 14, and then we'll kind of dive into verses 7 through 13 together. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your your message, and your ministry of welcome. Without it, Lord, we wouldn't be here. And so we're grateful. And we're also grateful, Lord, that you count us worthy to participate. That we're not just included, but we are equipped. We are empowered. We are invited in to the work that you're doing. Lord, help us not to to get the cart before the horse, but let us continue to remember how you've welcomed us so that we can participate in your message of welcome. We give you this time this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that you would speak by your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look this morning at three things about this ministry of welcome. Welcome. The first thing we see is that this ministry is specific. I'll show you what I mean. Let's reread verses 7 through 9. Paul says, Of this gospel, I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So Paul here, he's talking about his specific ministry. And he's telling them about it. He got distracted. I'm a prisoner for Christ. Oh, let me tell you about me and what God has called me to. It's his calling. It's, it was given to him. Directly by Jesus, who told him, if you read the book of Acts, chapter 22, Jesus tells Paul directly, Jesus to Paul, a direct communication. Jesus says, go. And the subtext is, go, meaning flee from these Jews who are trying to kill you, and go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So Jesus basically hand-delivered, this very specific and unique calling to the Apostle Paul. Not everyone was given Paul's calling. It was unique to him, crafted by God for him. And beyond that, Paul's calling was also, as he says in verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul was given a very unique and specific calling to preach to the Gentiles and to write down what Jesus revealed to him directly so that even we could understand this mystery that's no longer a mystery. Paul wrote it down. That was part of his calling, to write these things down so that everyone it says, could be enlightened. <laughs> you don't have Paul's ministry. I don't have Paul's ministry. I wasn't supposed to write the Bible, <laughs> which is good. Only Paul did. But how does he describe this calling? You know, verse 7, it says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me and then verse eight it says, to me this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles that those words are important. He calls this calling, this, this vocation, this this ministry he calls it a gift of grace that was given. okay, keep that in mind, look ahead to verse 7 of chapter four it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Same word. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So no, we don't have Paul's calling. It was specific to him, very unique to him. But we do each have a unique calling. As it says in verse 7 of chapter 4. Grace was given. Ministry was given. A calling was given. Gifts were given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, according to what Jesus Christ preferred that we get. It was given to us. A specific calling, handmade, handcrafted by Jesus for us. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 10, when we talked about How we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus has honed out a specific path for you to walk. Specific things for you to do. And Paul calls this a gracious gift. It's not a a heavy burden. It's not you know something that he loads onto us and says best of luck Paul calls it a gracious gift my response to that is thank you god for giving me something to do something meaningful something that matters a reason to get out of bed in the morning now don't get paul wrong here he He's not saying, I'm an awesome dude, I get to write the Bible. He makes it clear, you know, here in verse 8, that this is a me? Moment for Paul. Me? (laughs) You want me to do the things that help build the church? When I was literally destroying the church, that was my job. (laughs) That was his job. To destroy the church. That was his mission in life. <laughs> and God said, don't do that. I'm saving you, but also the opposite. Build the church. Write the Bible. Explain the mystery of God's plan for all humanity. That's what I want for you. Instead of destroying it. So Paul's like, me? And I I can, and Paul's not the first person to be called by God, given a task, given an office, given a role to play, who, who said, me? You got the wrong guy. Like Moses, Paul said, go to Pharaoh and articulate to him judgment and demand that he let my people go free. And Moses said, I can't talk. I'm not good at talking. My brother's good at talking. Maybe him? And and God graciously goes, Okay, you can bring your brother along. But I can relate with that. My, my brother's better at this than me. Okay. <laughs> or Gideon, who God in judges calls to Be the deliverer of Israel from their oppressors, the Midianites. And God comes to him and says, Gideon, you brave man. (laughs) Gideon's like, no, no. My family is like down here as regards sort of cultural capital. And I'm like the least of my family. So you can't possibly be talking about me. And the list goes on. I can relate with those guys. The cool thing is, that's just how God likes it. That's like the sweet spot for him. He likes it when you recognize that you are undeserving, that you are incompetent, that you're unable, that you are unmotivated. Just like he told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Jesus' grace plus power, his power, sprinkle in your weakness. Voila, perfect. That's the equation. That's the requirement, even. And it's a gift. It's so nice to be given something to do by the creator of the universe because you know he's going to help you do it. Uh, are, is Ella and Thea still here? Yeah, they're down on the ground. So Ella and Thea and I went on a little hike uh, a week and a half ago, and um, there's just a green belt like near our, near our house. And so you can go down these stairs and kind of, oh my gosh, you're in the forest all of a sudden, even though you're in the middle of the city. And there's a stream that runs, you know, through the green belt. And it was a dry day, although it had been raining a lot, as it was the first half of January or so. And so it was muddy. It was just nasty. And it's not really very well kept as far as a path goes. And so there's a lot of moments when I'm like, girls, if you don't want to (laughs) fall in the mud, hold my hand. Uh, otherwise you will be in the mud and so there we were just doing our thing kind of going up and up and up And we found ourselves on a ridge But we were overlooking that stream that goes through And the sun happened to kind of pierce, you know in that moment And so there's this beautiful stream that's going through the forest and the sun's blasting through and we had plans our plan was to go to the stream to build some boats, to launch the boats, and then hopefully to find pirate treasure, you know, if there was some to be found. But we were probably like 200 feet up from the stream with a very steep and muddy path lying in between. And it was so funny. Ella looks down, and she says, how are we ever going to get there? Just like, this is not going to happen. And I was chuckling to myself. And I told her, Ella, if you hold my hand, you can get there. It's easy. I will be there the whole time. You're not going to go this alone. And it was true. We made it. We launched some boats. Didn't find any pirate treasure. But, um Yeah. And so she had forgotten how she got to where she was in the first place. You know, we had already passed several points at which she needed to hold my hand. Uh, And yet, when faced with this thing that she really wanted, this oasis, she's like, there's no way I'm going to get there. And I would hold her hand the whole way. Maybe you feel like God has laid a calling out for you. And you're thinking like, Ella, how am I ever going to get there? How am I ever going to be able to do that? The answer lies there in verse 7. Let's read it again. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. How? Which was given me by the working of his power. It's the working of his power that gets you there. You know, For some reason, God has chosen you. God has chosen me to be involved in the most glorious plan of all time. And yeah, we're weak. I'm scared. You're not good enough at fill in the blank. But he's called you. And so you can. While holding on to him as best as you know how. And boldly, we see in verse 7, in Jesus we have boldness. We can boldly step out in faith, knowing that if he's the one who's putting this stuff in our path, then he's got to be the one to empower us for it. And notice here that Paul doesn't dish it out until he's tasted it himself. He has experienced the Working of his power and he knows he's the least of all the saints and He also knows the goodness of the Unsearchable riches of Christ we see in verse 8 Paul has discovered relational gold in Jesus Jesus talks about the man who when he's cutting through a, a person's field he finds a treasure And then he goes and sells all that he has so he can buy that field and so he can have that treasure that he found. And elsewhere, Paul says that he counts everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, all as trash for the sake and the surpassing worth, he says, of knowing Christ. One thing I've noticed about being a parent is that it gets better and better every day. It's, it's weird. When, when your child is first born, you're like, pretty sure I've got lots of love for this person. But as they mature, as they grow, as they change and, and learn and have opinions and <laughs> ideas and plans, you're just like, man, where's all this love coming from? It just like builds and builds and builds. It's it's like, when when am I gonna get to, to the bottom of this? It's it's a relational gold mine. And I'm sure many of you have dear friends like that too. You know, over the years and the years and the years, you're like, this person is so valuable to me. Jesus is like that, except Ten times more. Paul is saying that there is an insurmountable amount of wealth to be had in knowing Jesus. Other versions, your version might say it's incalculable. You can never know how good it is to know Jesus. All you know is it gets better and better every day. Paul has experienced that. You know, that's the unsearchable riches of Christ is laid right on top of him being the very least of all the saints. And elsewhere, he calls himself the chief of sinners. And he says, um, Christ died to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. (laughs) And yet, those unsearchable riches are laid right on top of that. And so Paul has experienced that. He's lived it, and now he preaches it. That relationship is what drives him, and it's what can drive us. If you're not a Christian today, just know that for us Christians, it's not about following a list of rules or not swearing or avoiding any number of things we'd rather be doing. It's about this relationship that we get to have with Jesus that gets better and better every day and if you are a christian today and you're harried and worn down remember to take advantage of that blank check that blank check that you have to enjoy your creator without shame without crushing duty without guilt like we talked about back when we talked about how we are his workmanship do your best to spend as much or more time with God than doing things for God. Like Paul, we, we won't be able to dish it out unless we've tasted of the feast ourselves. So this ministry of welcome, it's, it's specific to you. But looking forward to verse 10, we see that this ministry of welcome is through the church. Look at verse 10. Paul says, So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now this is probably the most shocking verse in Ephesians. God choosing to use the church to reveal his wisdom to all the heavenly host, angels, demons, Satan himself. God is choosing to use the church to display his wisdom. Wow. And that word manifold, manifold wisdom, it's a cool word. It basically means many folds (laughs) or Another way of thinking about it is um, like an intricately embroidered pattern with many different facets. a Patchwork quilt. Something where you look at it and you go, okay, there's, this is more beautiful than the sum of its parts. But there's a lot of parts. There's a lot of different things happening here, and yet the whole thing just blows your mind. Each of us in the church brings a different facet of understanding God's wisdom. You know, the fact that God saved me, and he also saved you, that together displays God's wisdom in a greater measure. And how much more the entire universal, capital C, church throughout all of history You experiencing the unsearchable riches of Christ teaches the heavenly host something about the wisdom of God, something unique. So whether or not we have a capital C calling or we're just a software engineer or an architect or a nurse or a mom, we are all part of this church we're all part every one of us who has said yes to Jesus Christ we are all in verse 10 we're all in it we're right there that's us the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church Paul's calling your calling my calling they're all like little tributaries They're all like little tributaries that join up together into a large raging river. The church is God's endgame. He has staked his reputation on the church. That's a little bit uncomfortable because we all know the church isn't perfect. But there are two implications here. First, it means that it's not just me, Justin, Andy, and the deacons who are doing ministry. And we'll, we'll dive super deep into this, this concept in chapter 4. But the ministry of welcome is for all of us. Everyone here. We are all a part. Whether it's here among the church family, <clears throat> there at your work, at home, Everywhere you find yourself. Let's indeed look over to chapter 4 again. Verses 11 and 12. Paul says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You might not have been tapped by God to be an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, a teacher. But you have been tapped by God to be a saint. And as chapter 4, verse 12 says, the saints are the ones doing the work of ministry. So we have work to do. My job, a portion of my job as a shepherd here, as a teacher, is to equip you to do your job not for you to watch me do my job. Thea told me yesterday, (laughs) she said, no one made my bed. And I was like, that's not my job, Thea. (laughs) My job isn't to make your bed. If you want your bed made, you better make it. We all have work to do. And according to Paul, this is the cool part, is that work, the, those tasks, those things that God is stirring in you to do, it's a gift. It's a gracious gift. What a gift it is to be part of the massive throng of human beings who get to showcase the manifold wisdom of God to a watching world, or rather a watching Cosmos. And perhaps you don't know what God has laid out for you. Perhaps you're, you're wondering to yourself, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know where I fit in this display of God's manifold wisdom. You're in good company. You're in very good company. And so what I would recommend is start with the one thing. You know, whether it's the one thing you know, you know, you know, you know, or it's the one thing Jesus talked about with Mary and Martha. If you remember, Martha and Mary, they're good buddies with Jesus. Martha is like in the kitchen, prepping food, cleaning up, setting out a banquet, just doing all the things for Jesus. She's doing it for Jesus. And Mary's in the other room with Jesus, sitting, just sitting on her butt. But you know what she was doing, sitting on her butt? She was just looking at Jesus. She was listening to Jesus. She was enjoying the presence of her Lord. And Martha goes, Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. I got a few more things to come through the oven. Come on. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken away. <laughs> and all of us practical people are like, okay, yeah, yeah, but shouldn't she help her sister? Like, but Jesus is teaching us something there. You know, that the one thing, If you don't know what else to do, if you have no idea what God is calling you to specifically, do the one thing, and that is get in the presence of Jesus and learn how unsearchable his riches are. Because somewhere in that pile of gold, you'll find something to do. I guarantee it. And he'll whisper it, but it could be that he wants you to actually learn how to do that one thing before you start doing your to-do list for Jesus. Learning how to do that one thing. So the second, in, sorry, the second implication here in verse ten about how God uses the church is that if God cares so much about the church. And if he has staked his reputation on the church, then we should be, as verse 12 of chapter 4 says, seeking to build up the body of Christ. We should be invested in the church. And if we are to be building up or edifying the church, and if we're finding ourselves cynical about the church, you know, whether it's our own local congregation or the larger capital C church, we best deal with that because God's not done with the church. He's going to keep working on the church. And I love what Justin said a few weeks ago. He said, I think the reason why God or why the church is always dealing with scandal is because God doesn't want us to get away with it. God doesn't want pastors who are who are greedy to get away with it. God doesn't want leaders who are exploiting young people to get away with it. Not a chance. But it's not because God's done with the church. It's quite the opposite. It's because the church is where he's going. And if you're finding yourself done with the church, you're in pretty good company around in Seattle. But I would encourage you to get to the bottom of those feelings because God doesn't want you to stop there. God wants you to be invested in the church because that's what he's invested in. And he's invested in you. He's not going to stop what He's started in you. He's going to finish it, just like he will with the church. And finally, verse 12, or sorry, 11 and 12, we see that the ministry of welcome is not just specific to us and through the church, but it's all by and for one person verse 11 says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Jesus is the why and the how of the ministry of welcome. Paul says in Romans 15, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. The ministry of welcome is Christ-centered. It's Christ-empowered. It's Christ-like. It's Christ-shaped. It looks like Jesus. And look how much Paul looks like Jesus in in verse 13. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. A lot of translators think that's actually not an ask for them, but more of a prayer. So I ask God that these folks not lose heart for what I am suffering on their behalf. If we're not laying our lives down for, e- for each other or for others, we've got it wrong. Now, that doesn't mean we're timid or afraid. We have boldness and confident access because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can run straight into the boardroom with the president of the board seated at the head of the table, and we can just walk in and ask and present ourselves and and question and, and be. Because of Jesus, we don't need to feel any shame whatsoever in bringing ourselves before God. Because of Jesus, we can participate in spreading and embodying this Evangelion, this proclamation of glad tidings, this gospel. So as we learned last week, all people are invited to hear and respond to the message of welcome. There's no cleaning yourself up needed prior. You just have to be aware of your sin. Aware of your need for God. Aware that you need to be rescued. That's the only prerequisite. But once you've heard and believed in this message of welcome, you are then invited to participate. To be active participants in this ministry of welcome. You might say, me? Yes, you. Isn't that something? Praise God. Let's pray. Father God, we just are flabbergasted by your plan and your goodness and your power Holy Spirit, please empower us. Empower us for your purpose. Help us to glorify Jesus Christ wherever we go. Remind us, Lord, of the incalculable riches we have in this relationship with you. Help us to be like children who all they need to do is hold their dad's hand. We submit to you our lives in our church as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.